we are operating under the illusion of separation. And the feedback that we are actually receiving is that in this moment, we are consciously or unconsciously operating from a paradigm of thought that is not acknowledging our intrinsic connection to our divinity. So there is absolutely zero moment whatsoever. There is no breath where we are disconnected from God. Welcome to Gaia Rising, an exploration of human healing and evolution through storytelling. Welcome everybody to another episode of Gaia Rising podcast. I am so thrilled and so honored and so excited to be joined here today by my brother, my friend, my mentor, Xavier Dogba. Welcome, Xavier, to the podcast. And it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm excited. I don't even know what I'm excited for at this point. But just sharing this space and having the opportunity to expand on whatever will come through today, that excites me. So thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah I'm really happy we made this happen. And I also feel that same excitement with just how we will, I'm sure we will be weaving in this space. Um, yeah. Just for anybody who's listening to, to give a little context, Xavier uh, is a life coach, a spiritual guide, a master shadow worker, weaver. He's a poet. He's a musician. He's a, a family man. And um, yeah, he's many, many things, but he's been my my teacher, my mentor, and has been a, a profound guide. And this conversation is a an opportunity that I wanted to create a container for us to, to share some of the conversations we've had throughout our time together um, because we, we share a lot in common, uh, particularly around our, our origins um, in Christianity and, and our missions, uh, serving the light and helping others un unlock their light. Um, so yeah, yeah, so honored to have you here, Xavier. And uh, why don't we just start off with... Uh, um, for any listeners, I, I wanted to, I know you've spoken about it on a few podcasts before. I first heard you with Adam Jackson on the Sacred Sons podcast. And just for context, though, for those listening right now, would you be able to tell a little bit of your story and, and how it shaped you and how it brought you into the path that you're on now? Yeah, I was born and raised in Cameroon. It's a country in the central part of Africa, and I'm the second of six siblings. And my parents um, were just the hardest working people I know. They, in a very difficult economical context, they did the best they could. They invested everything in us, in their children. Um, you know, schooling, even though they really did not have a lot of means, they put us in one of the best schools in town. Um, so it allowed us to, to be a bridge for two things. You go to school with the richest kids in town. So you see abundance in there. 
and you live in the poorest neighborhood in town and there is deep poverty. So that created a lot of perspective for us growing up and also a lot of gratitude for the effort that my parents were putting in us. I'm just realizing there that I've always been at intersections between worlds growing up. So my parents had, you know, very Catholic Christian family. And I was the I was the one that, that would usually question a lot of things because I just wanted answers. Growing up, I remember around age four, four or five, I told my, it was almost like a revelation to me. I told my parents that I came here to be a priest, that I wanted to be a priest. And, you know, after investing myself in the ways of the church and exploring some of that, I was just like, yeah, no, not that way. I don't want to be a priest, priest that way. Um, so there were just a lot of aspects of Christianity that did not sit well with me, which, and a few of them were that there is this jealous God and this fearful God, this God that you need to be afraid of. And I had this rebel inside of me that was just like, well, if I need to be afraid of you, I don't want to have anything to do with you. You know, if I have to fear you, if you are so emotionally immature that you're going to be jealous and, you know, get mad or, you know, it's like, nah, yeah. You can do better, God. That was my thought form as a child. So I, I usually, I, I would argue a lot with my parents to go to church and all these different things. So growing up, there was this lingering feeling inside. And that was um, that there was something wrong with me. How come I did not give in to a lot of this uh, religious beliefs just like my siblings did? They would gladly go to church and they wouldn't be as resistant as I was. Um, on top of that, I had a few what you could call mystical experiences as a child that, um, you know, of course, my my parents were a little bit like worried about that added to the fact that mm, there's something weird with this dude, something weird with me. And yeah, the thought form that there was something evil about me was really there from a young age. Um, and I really started exploring that even more. Um, in my youth, I didn't really have a lot of answers. And, you know, I started when I, when I reached age, age 24, I got the opportunity to have a to pursue a PhD in economics at the University of Montreal. And I accepted that opportunity. I came to Canada. It was around 2013. And it was the, the, the cocoon that I needed as well to kind of like re-explore the fabric of my spiritual and religious beliefs. And there was a great degree of like, dissolving and learning and re and strengthening at the same time that happened during that time um what i'm gonna say is the limited ways that i had to look at god and divinity or source or the universe they expanded 
I realized that there were there were so many um, human projections that we put on something that is not human, something that is divine. And that liberated me to a great degree. It gave me a certain degree of freedom to just experience the world outside of the Christian judgments that I had. Because, you know, I had a very strong Christian conditioning, even though I was, re I was resisting a lot of it. You know, there's also a lot of it that just came in. Conditioning is really strong. So it was almost some sort of like, I'm not going to say emancipation in terms of like turning away from it, but it was just like adding to it. It was like stretching the, 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 the boundaries of what I thought God was or source was. And that was liberating on its own. So, you know, having gone, going through that kind of spiritual awakening or reawakening because i can say i've had many but that was one that caused me to decide to drop the phd which was also a great awakening for me because it created a lot of discord with my family a lot of family estrangement that we've had to work through um it put me on a different path just like romancing my inner divinity and seeing where it wants to lead me um, and that, that was a deep journey to the shadow. Being in the, in this foreign country, completely alone, navigating at times financial hardship, um, redefining who I am, experiencing homelessness, trying and failing at so many businesses. And through that, continuing to refine that relationship. In a nutshell, this is what my journey has been. Um, from, you know, from where I came from to, to where I am today, there is the core of it. Um, I did desire to just romance what it is that this divine force inside of me wants to create through me as me in this lifetime. I am really curious about that. So yeah, this is, a. That's how I can introduce a little bit about my journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that that context. I relate so deeply, of course. I also come from a family of six, deeply religious. Your family is Catholic. Mine was Orthodox Christian, which were once the same church before 1054, if you go back far enough. Um, I also wanted to be a priest. Um, when people asked me at a young age, I think I was five or so, yeah, when people asked i'd say i want to be a priest and a monster truck driver um and like i see the work that i do today i mean i'm kind of doing that in my own way much like i see you being a priest in your own way um maybe not with that label but you know if, if we define maybe priest as like within that context of how we grew up at, at five years old it was like being a spiritual leader being called to that and and helping yeah. people helping their hearts helping connect ourselves and each other to god um in that definition of a priest i'd say yeah I, I really see you in that and i see myself in that and yeah and i you know just this piece though around the nature of god and god yeah. being good and the the 
the cognitive dissonance I, I had throughout my entire religious upbringing of that piece, you know, that you spoke to, that like, how could a, a good God be wrathful and vengeful or or any times, you know, that I now, I mean, now when I look at it, any time that I'm experiencing guilt or shame or fear or uh, judgment or any of these states that I, I can feel in my body are disconnected from God. Like, why would, how would God embody any of those states or how would God put any of those things on me? A good God, you know? Mm. How could an unconditional love God show conditional love? Um, yeah, in that way. Yeah, unraveling that has has been for me a, a continuous journey, and I don't know if it is if it's a journey that it feels like is complete for you. And I know a lot of the work we did together was like unwinding a lot of these ideas and concepts of of heaven and hell and judgment and fear and. Uh, yeah, just deprogramming a lot of those codes and, and st while still maintaining the gold in there, right? Because the church and the, the religion, the Christ consciousness we grew up within, like, you're still very much connected to Christ, right? To a great degree, yeah. Yeah, could you yeah. talk more about that? So, um, there are so many things that you said and. Um, you mentioned at some point the states of like experiencing shame and guilt, guilt, um, states that are disconnected from, from God. And to that, I would love to say that these are states where we are under the illusion of separation. These are states that are reflecting to us that we are operating under the illusion of separation and the feedback that we are actually receiving is that in this moment we are consciously or unconsciously operating from a paradigm of thought that is not acknowledging our intrinsic connection to our divinity so there is absolutely zero moment whatsoever. There is no breath where we are disconnected from God. In these moments, we may be operating from a perception that anchors that separation. But one thing that I realized was there is zero moment where we are actually disconnected from that divinity and that it would go again from the real nature of what the word or of what source means if it's allness and if you're part of that allness and there is absolutely zero heartbeat where you are disconnected from the allness and what i started realizing is the definition even trying to define trying to define the divine would be to confine it which would be any definition is in you know is incomplete but all definitions are myopic. That's something that I realized. And I noticed that there is a benevolent source that wants to have a very intimate relationship with me. And an intimate relationship that is not a, di a dictatorship of goodness, which is a key thing here. It's not a dictatorship of goodness. It's like, I need you to be obedient unless you're going to be rejected and 
you know, you're going to become the scum of the earth. It is none of that. And it was really in full honoring of that instrument, that God-given free will. Um, So that was one thing that was really liberating. But he was also noticing that when I look at the love of a mother towards a child, and a way, you know, the, the way as the way a mother is can be completely devoted to a child. I've seen mothers hide children that were criminals in the neighborhood where I grew up in. And she, she would have done every single thing to try to save her son. When you and it's almost as if he could do the worst of the worst and she could find it within herself to she would condemn and still kind of like take him in. There's something that I witnessed. And I was just like, are you trying to tell me that God would love less than this human mother? And I'm like, yeah, no. So th- that kind of first thing really shifted dramatically for me. And I started realizing that I've been judging myself more than the divine has ever judged me. Mm-hmm. I've been beating myself up more than, um, you know, God, source, the universe had been ever judging me. And then I was invited to grow in the way I was relating that. So you asked another thing about my relationship with Christ or Christ consciousness at the moment. This may offend um, some people, but I really relate to the man as the man. And a man that came to be an example of what is possible when you create deep intimacy with your inner divinity, profound intimacy with your inner divinity profound intimacy with the way of the heart. And when you really lead from that place that is integrated, it is that place that is the bridge between your humanity and your divinity. Like when you really lead from that place, there is profound catalytic energy that you begin to embody. And that creates healing. That changes the course of history. And somebody can have such a profound impact that 2,000 plus years after they are gone, the entire world still remembers what that impact was. And remembering the way of the heart, in my opinion, is some of what we are learning how to do today. It is not something that flies above your humanness. It is a profound allyship between divinity and humanity all at once. It's like receiving the fullness of what the human experience has to offer while being completely connected, completely tapped in to the reality of your spiritual essence. So that's how I relate to... Um, the Christic energy, the Christ energy, which, in my opinion, we get to romance 
more today and really and really explore what does it look like in this modern world to become practitioners on that paradigm? What does it look like to become the modern devotees of that way of being? So, yeah, I can be in, in a church and pray, but no longer in a way that um, is like the oh, poor me, human um kind of begging a divine source it is a co-creative partnership with the other side of the veil with um the universe that is so benevolent and that wants to work with me yeah i, I think this this idea of, of being the modern devotees of this energy of this light of this you know, yeah, we can use all these words. We can call it Christ consciousness, or you know, the Buddha touched it, or all these people have touched it and embodied it. It doesn't need a name, though. It's it's everywhere. It's all the time, and, and we're inseparable from it. And that yeah. just that, even when you said that, and as I'm saying it, it brings so much relaxation and comfort to the depths of my heart in a way that I just know, like. I know that's true. You know, I feel the truth of that. I feel your words or those words traveling through time and space. And I can, I can feel it. I can feel God. I can feel truth. I can feel love and God is love. Yeah. And even in the Bible, you know, it's my favorite Psalm is Psalm 139. Like, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your face? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. They take the wings of the dawn and fly to the ends of the sea. Even there, your spirit will surround me. And if I say, surely the darkness will cover me. The darkness and light are one in you, and you are there also. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's something that's potent about it. Um, we often play the game of opposites, of duality. And... I used to have a big fear of darkness, huge fear of darkness. Um, like I remember, you know, I a little bit about my story. My dad is from Benin. We grew up in Cameroon. Benin is the, the epicenter of voodoo, which is not something evil by all means. It's a um, let's call it um, some sort of like spiritual tradition um, in West Africa and. The same way you're going to have some voodoo practitioners that are the most profound healers that you'll ever get to work with. You're also going to find some um, voodoo practitioners that use, you know, I want to say spiritual awareness, spiritual um, intelligence, quote unquote, or their spiritual tools, and you may even call them gifts for evil. So what I realized is that fear of darkness was something that was tripling me tremendously. I got to a point where I was tired of being afraid of the dark. Because in my childhood, my dad had so many episodes of like bringing us to healers and bringing us to pre-sale, you know, prayer sessions when he felt like 
the energy wasn't right or that we were being targeted spiritually. It was also a big part of his own childhood. So because he grew up, you know, he had some time in Benin and there was a lot of like, you know, um, you may call it dark um, attacks or people that did not wish them well that were defaulting to kind of using voodoo to try to, to hurt them, he would say. And at some point, I was just looking at him, and I was just like, Dad, I'm just tired. I'm tired of, like, going through these cycles of fear. I don't think this is how life is supposed to be lived. You know, I'm tired of being afraid of the dark. And if God is also powerful, you know, I think there is a way we can wield that power to really disrupt all these different things. I remember it was around age, I don't know, I was closer to my 20s. I then refused to go to any more, you know, spiritual practitioners and healers. I was just like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. If there's something evil that tries to come into my space, I'm going to fucking repel it. I am tired of it, of this shit. Where I'm going with that is, I really feel like we have demonized darkness, which is the realm of the unknown. And I really think that there is no inherent source. There is no, you know, there is no inherent source of darkness the same way we have a source of light, which is God, divinity. There is, but there are beings that have free choice that can choose to do good or to do really, really dark things. And humans are capable of the darkest of the dark. And we are also capable of the brightest of the bright. And what I've started realizing is romancing within myself, my own capacity for evil was one of the most powerful things I could do so that that evil or that darkness within me, quote unquote, did not have, couldn't have the capacity to hijack my heart. So talking about the opposite of God, it's like it is just the experiences where we are operating in under the illusion of separation. It's like when we really stray away from that, we have these big experiences of like negative negativity, one could say, or darkness, one could say. And we can even match some like um, energies that are in opposition to that benevolent source of of love that we know as source. And I, st I started realizing how powerful we are. And I started really having a healthy respect for darkness. Um, many people have a, a superiority complex with darkness. It's like, I'm good, that's bad. I'm, I'm light, that is dark. A lot of people, we have this kind of like attachment to goodness. We have a superiority complex with criminals, with people that with the evil doers of the world. And because of that, we other them. And as we other them, we also other the part within us that has the capacity for precisely what they do. And the reason why I was so seduced by the practice of shadow work was I think I, I shared that with you at some point. A big part of our journey um, of evolution, a little like Christ, is to be tempted in the desert by the devil. What I mean by that is to romance your darkness. 
And it only makes sense that if somebody had such of a, and I think it's metaphorical for the biggest part of it, but it says a lot about our journey of integration. At some point, you have to meet your capacity for darkness fully, and you have to look at the dark inside of you, which is the quote unquote hell you have created within you where you have banished all the parts that weren't lovable enough. So we have that inner hell that we have created where everything within us that is not godly, that is not likable, that is going to get us in trouble, that is too painful, that is too challenging, we reject. And I started meditating about the nature of darkness itself. Just pay attention. When you don't want to see something, you put it in the dark. When something is annoying to you, you put it in the dark. When something is challenging, you put it in the dark. When it's, it's too painful, you put it in the dark. So imagine and think of the dark as an entity. That dark would say, give it to me. Oh, this is bugging to you. This is annoying to you. Give it to me. I will hold it for you. This is too difficult to be with. Give it to me. I will hold it for you. This is not welcome in your world. Give it to me. I will hold it to you. There is profound benevolence in darkness. A great degree of benevolence in darkness. It's like, I will hold, says darkness, I will hold everything that keeps you from being able to function in the world. Give it to me. I will take it. And when you become aware of that benevolence in darkness, you start realizing it is almost a divine form of benevolence. It is purely in service of you. You feel dissociated. The part that you can't be with, your darkness is going to hold. Your unconscious is going to hold. You feel shameful? Give it to me. I will hold it. It is profoundly benevolent. And when you feel into that benevolence, you're going you're gonna to start realizing that we have rejected in the dark huge aspects of our humanness. And usually when these parts go unchecked, they wreak havoc in the world. I call darkness the dark side of your higher self or the dark side, the dark face of divinity. It is one and the same thing. And the more you are able to romance it and integrate it and even open your heart to it, not in any complacent thing, the less it has power over you, the less you become, and the, the, the less things that are not loving can latch onto you, whether it be darker thought forms or darker entities or however you wish to call them, the less they have the, an, an ability to latch onto you. The more integrated you are, the more unfuckwithable you are by... Um, you know, what we would call dark energy. So the relationship we, we have not only with, with light, but also with dark is invited to shift in this paradigm. And yeah, that's just the only piece I wanted to add there. Yeah, that's profound. That's profound because that shift in relationship you know, the, what you're speaking of, this profound benevolence of darkness is almost, yeah. I see it as in the yin-yang way, this is like where God is in the depths. Even in the depths, you are there with me. Like God is there too. How could God be outside of or separate from anything 
in space and time in in any capacity and in any realm god permeates all of it and love is beneath all of it and as someone who's traveled you know that it's amazing for me like uh in a lot of my journeys whether it was my you know you helped me integrate my temescal journey uh, last year that i haven't shared it on this platform at all but like i i had a completely sober like went into a temescal which is like a yeah, a sweat lodge or a really hot sauna with ceremony and had a ended up purge through. It was really a purge, actually. It was like this mental, I went into like a psychosis, basically, of like these swirling thoughts that came from the depths of my being, of my fear of hell. And it like created and fear of darkness that, that then manifested into an experience of complete disillusion of my psyche and like my entire reality and what I thought was my life dissolved and was all an illusion the entire time and i went just yeah i emerged completely with darkness and with with the illusion which was like i created with my own mind in that moment and it was a powerful excruciating it was the most excruciating thing in my life you know but um on the other side of it you know, and on the other side of death and disillusion and complete darkness, these portals, you know, death itself, like this is, this is what Christ did, you know, going and dying and resurrecting from the tomb. We look around nature everywhere. Where is there an end? Where is death the end? It's never the end. Like, yeah. look at the spring always comes after the winter. The sun always rises again through the darkness of the night. So why the heck would we think God is any different or that, yeah, this, this illusion of, of somehow there being some absolute or some separation from God, some absolute darkness or hell. Um, it's so, such a relief again, you know, just speaking again to what you're sharing and the, this journey you've been on and, and that I've been on as well. And just connecting to, to, yeah, these concepts that you speak so eloquently about. Um, yeah, I, I think see, this very healing, you know. Yeah, there's something there that you that you're mentioning because usually what people do with this awareness is they basically downplay what we perceive as negative. It's like with this awareness, they usually. Um, rationalize not being with the parts that are um difficult to be with and so sometimes you're going to be hearing the it's all good and it's all going to be okay and it's all it's all god and sometimes we use that as the i want to say a way to take ourselves out out, out of the darker situations so with that said, there is the profound experience of mimicking the benevolence of God towards a human being that is experiencing darkness. What I mean by that is when you're going through a dark night of the ego, I rarely call it a dark night of the soul because to me, the soul is the, the you know, it's the, 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 the God-like essence that lives inside. Some people may call it differently. I call it soul. Uh, 
So to me, it's that brighter essence inside of you that is a piece of God, a piece of the divine that we have within us. And that part knows no dark night. So when we're experiencing a dark night of the ego, meaning our soft concept is blown apart, and sometimes we have a hard time feeling our connectedness with our source, what do you think your 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 guides, your angels are doing? They are loving you right there. They love you right there in that space. And at a human level, what that looks like is when we experience the moments of separation and feeling separate from that divinity, meaning when shame and guilt and hurt and fear come up, can you offer to yourself the same degree of compassion? Without downplaying the experience, it's like that's another big aspect of creating the bridge between our humanity and our divinity. It's a profound aspect when you're experiencing scarcity, even though you know that the reality is abundance. Can you be compassionate with yourself in the moments when you, you know, these are the things that sometimes we have this cognitive dissonance, which is I am experiencing scarcity right now, but I know on a spiritual level that the only truth is abundance. Like help me reconcile both. It's like, what is actually going on here? And even though you might not be aware of the thought form or the thought forms that are creating the experience of abundance, the experience of scarcity, can you be with yourself fully in the experience of scarcity with an open heart, compassionate energy, which is actually what creates the bridge to the integration and the healing that we want. So meeting darkness with an open heart is one of the biggest initiations of these times. Meeting darkness with a refined quality of presence that is able to say, I am here right now. I would rather not be here, but I am here. And that's okay. I am in pain right now. I would rather not be in pain. Here I am experiencing this pain. And that is okay. It is safe for me to be in my body experiencing this it's safe for me to have love and compassion for myself as i'm going through this what you're doing in that moment you are literally channeling the potency of the light lives inside of you and you are applying that light as a ball to the hurt that you're experiencing so we are here to be bridges so with this awareness of what darkness is or it's just a component and it's a natural experience of living in this world of duality and even having a healthy degree of respect for it you know i often emphasize that people are usually kind of like judging downplaying minimizing and even criticizing a lot of the evil doors out there i've had an experience of just looking at the Machiavellic intelligence of some of them, and just like, holy fuck, how can a human being be capable of so much evil intelligence? I've been marveling, not in a way that is like glorifying, but in just a way that is like, wow, look at what a human being can do when they really reject love. Look at what we can be capable of. 
Could it be possible that I have some of that within me? Where does it often show up in at a minimal scale? Where does it often show up? The more we are able to do that, the more we play the roles of transmuters. We meet something that has the capacity to create a lot of harm and we meet it with the energy of transformative compassion or transformative love that allows us to heal and evolve. So, yeah, mm. Um, mm. that's what I wanted to add to what you brought up. Yeah, and that, that feels like uh, a great analogy for just describing shadow work for anyone who is unfamiliar. Um, it's yeah. digging deep, going deep and deep into, you know, housekeeping, going into the basement, cleaning out the basement, going to the, going into that closet, you know, uh, clearing and dusting and, and, and in these places where, you know, I often think like my, my experiences with shadow work, an analogy that I, I often use is like hearing this demon, this banshee, like screaming in my closet, almost like I'm a child and I'm so afraid of the monster in the closet. And it's this screaming, excruciating like thing that I, so I like board up my closet door and I try to put mattresses over it and do everything I can to just like hide and ignore the screaming and having spent, you know, a large part of my life trying to do that or, or many of us different coping mechanisms, you know, securities, relationships, substances, numbing, trying to numb that part of myself. So it just shuts up and stops causing me so much dis-ease and you know, getting to this place and the safety with, with you and with um, some of my other teachers, but particularly with you being, you know, in my opinion, you are the, the most powerful like shadow worker I've ever come across in the world, which is why I, I chose you immediately. And I, I it was a soul full body. Yes. When I heard you speaking. Um, so thank you for that, for guiding thank me. You me. Thank you for <laughs> trust. Yeah. Yeah. But like going to these spaces and, pulling back all the the things that I'd guarded against this thing and, you know, opening that closet door and reaching in with a, just a big old hug to my, the thing I fear the most, which I think is some demon or the devil or something. And it actually turns out to be my, my like inner child, you know, from some part in my past, you know, who's just been, or, or my inner baby who's been this screaming, crying child, it just needs the love and attention of a parent of, of myself now and like coming into those spaces and realizing and just the the releases you know just like oh my gosh this thing that i thought was evil or like was so scary or or like i wanted to throw i tried to get rid of and burn was actually like a core part of my essence and like this hurt part of me you know and and bringing yeah. that love and bringing that balm and the tears and the releases and the just you know the memories that can come up through these these guided processes which yeah and, and i'm also like it's it's a calling i have this is like as our our priest archetypes you know like i'm also facilitating shadow work in my coaching um it's the most beautiful thing i've ever witnessed you know but it's 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 really edgy for sure for us to go like diving deep into the places that we feared the most that we've repressed the most 
in our lives. Yeah, it's it's a and and for anyone who's listening who feels this this call, I mean, it's obviously it's uh it's something I would encourage you to to act upon and to to trust your intuition, to trust that no matter how much fear you have or resistance to it, like what we fear the most is exactly the portal that we need to go towards. You know, that's where the gold is at the depths of the ocean, you know, and it's where our greatest gifts lie. And I know that's a lot of the themes and what, what you do Xavier and how you guide people. I I'm sure you have some words you'd add to that. I, you know, there is something really potent where you where do you find gold you find it in the dirt where do you find diamonds you find it in the, you find them in the dirt um and it's just an analogy for the fact that some of the greatest gifts are not necessarily found just in open air or um you know you you don't climb a tree necessarily to get them there is a lot of beauty that hides in the dark a lot of gifts that we have disowned, a lot of brightness that we have repressed, and our ability to uphold our light is proportional to how deep we've we've gone. It's like there is there is a grounding that is necessary before elevation, and the same way roots need to get deepened for a tree to be even more elevated. There is some of that that is needed for us. And it is a necessary journey of our expansion. I think the one-sided way of like spiritual evolution, which is only romancing the good and the positive and the nice, can create what I like to call spiritual dissociation. And we are stepping out of the paradigm of spiritual dissociation. It's just like the only good vibes, you know, the good vibes only paradigm. It's like, yeah, sure, invite the good vibes. But when the dark ones, when the difficult vibes are here, can you be with it? And sometimes you're going to find out that some of the difficult vibes that were actually, that you were experiencing, it was your 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 brightness that was screaming, de-shame me. That's what I've experienced for myself a lot. Some of the things that it feels easier and easier for me to tap into when I create, even when I share poetry, even when I write, those are things that I had rejected. I never saw myself as a writer. I never saw myself coming up on Instagram and sharing some of the things that I'm sharing right now. I was just like, no, this is not me. I was like, I'm, a, I, I'm more of like an analytical mind. I have a, uh, a master's in, mathemat in mathematics. Um and I went I went into statistics and economics after that. I was like, yeah, I never really saw myself necessarily as um, a writer. But the more you start romancing the, the shame that I had around writing, the shame that I had even around my use of English, because English is easily, you know, second language, maybe even third. So... Going in these spaces is what unlocked my ability to stand as unapologetically as I can in what my expression is at the moment. So there is brightness in there. There's a tremendous amount of brightness. Yeah. 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 Would you say, I was just curious, you know, as you were talking about the, 
the out of, you know, how you can be out of balance, constantly seeking love and light and upward, you know, momentum. Is it possible to get out of balance going deep into shadow work, do you think? Or like, I, I, I also connect this with like ice baths, for instance, or like edge, just meeting edges and like going deeper and deeper. For me, it feels almost infinite because of there's a level of resistance that is intrinsic to it that it's like i wouldn't be doing it unless it was absolutely consciously i'd actually be avoiding it generally it's like i can only be doing it when it's conscious and every time it seems like the fruits go upwards is that the nature of it or do you think there is some form of balance can you overdo it oh definitely i think it can be overdone I think that there's a big shadow in, in in shadow work and shadow into into healing. It's like um, it's almost a little bit of that perfect perfectionist mentality that is applied to shadow work. It's like I need to get rid of all shadow. Let me find the next shadow to integrate. Yeah. Let me find the next thing that I have repressed so that I can integrate it. And when you do that, what you realize is you're constantly swimming on the water. You know, you're constantly swim, swimming on the water. There is a beautiful, the dance of life is integrative in essence. What I mean by that is its intention is to get you to integrate your wholeness. And you don't even need to force the, or to, to pull so much. Your next relationship will bring up shadow shadows to integrate. Your next client will bring up shadows to integrate. The next dinner with family will bring up shadows to integrate. It's like, yes, romance, love. It's like, by all means, create pleasant experiences for yourself. Really have that, exp- uh, invita- that, that desire to create joy in your life. It is okay to want all of these different things. It is okay to reach for the the next um, beautiful experience. And when fear shows up, because it will, meet it fully, face it fully. And when shame comes up out of the blue, meet it fully, experience it fully. And when the next trigger comes up, explore it fully. You don't even need to dig for shadow material. It is it's there. It is yeah. here. Yeah. So it is really this integrative dance where you know celebrate the good as it come as it comes, and also when the difficult comes, actually celebrate it too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like what I mean by celebrating the the the, the difficult or the quote unquote bad as it comes. It's not about oh my god, I'm so I'm I'm, I'm such in pain. It feels so great. No, that's not what I'm talking about. The celebration that I'm talking about first it is receivership of the experience. We often talk about gratitude, but we talk about a very conditional aspect of gratitude. Gratitude has a broader trade that is available there it is gratitude for every single experience even the most difficult ones and when you really operate from the perspective that the universe is ultimately benevolent and which is a very leading edge thing to operate from it's hard especially when you witness 
pain around you, it's really difficult to operate from the perception that the universe is deeply benevolent. But if you challenge the the the, the resistance to doing that just for a hot second, and you allow yourself to really operate from the perception that the universe is really benevolent, when you have a challenge showing up, even though you might not have wisdom come full circle yet they know the reason why or everything you know that is interconnected and intertwined in there can allow yourself to receive it like this is fucking painful and it is here let me just see what is here let me be with this pain Mm -hmm. let me explore what are its messages where is it coming from let me see this fear what is beneath this fear what part of me is getting activated right now as this trigger is coming up, you know, what does it have to say? If this trigger could talk to me, if this pain within my body could talk to me, what it would say is, and really romancing that profoundly, this is receivership. And to me, it's a form of gratitude. It's like, okay, I'm receiving this experience. I'm going to be with myself. I'm going to be here in my body, connected to my heart, connected to my cells, as I receive this experience, it's not just going to be a cognitive experience. It's going to be a full-blooded emotional experience. And I'm going to savor the taste. Even when you taste something bitter, you know, you're like, oh, my God. It's just like, what is that thing? Spiritually, we have the same experience. And it informs you. It really informs you. So... Um, that is one thing that I really wanted to anchor here that is so critical in the way we integrate. It's a dance. It's an integrative dance. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we can, whenever you create such a strong degree of attachment with like, oh, I only need to experience good vibes. It's There's some form of spiritual amputation that goes on here, spiritual dissociation because we reject a lot of the other side that is actually necessary in creating an integrated human being. And whenever we become obsessed, we're like, oh my God, I discovered shadow work and I need to integrate all my shit. Mm -hmm. What happens as well is we can get trapped in the shadow of shadow work and spiral. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you sharing that. I, I would say that even extends, I see that, that pattern beyond shadow work just in healing in general the shadow of healing like i love that you speak you're speaking to like life will present us with everything we need it it is constantly giving us exactly what we need in any given moment and we don't need to go looking for demons to face or something you know um this has been a big theme in my life lately is like trying to prove myself or something, you know, or thinking, you know, like, I mean, we can go do all the ice baths in the world, go to all the ayahuasca ceremonies, all the shadow work, all the deepest, darkest, hardest stuff and be obsessed with that. And that can actually be bypassing for me, like my relationship with my father or my relationship with my, my family or my patterns. And yeah, in any relationship or, my relationship with money or career (laughs) real briefly i I would love to hear a little bit of uh your perspective uh i know i you teach a lot about you know working you work a lot with healers and people in these spaces 
Um, just while that popped up just now, the money thing, I, I would love to hear some of your thoughts on integrating our relationship with money and the, the archetype of the starving artist or the starving healer. And yeah, yeah how do you how do you relate with money in this paradigm that, that you've created? Yeah, um, I love that so much because, you know, um, imagine that the monk is going down from the mountain and back to the city and adjusting to living in the city. Collectively, the spiritual, um, this is this is what we've been exploring, especially in spiritual circles. Like right now, it's no longer the paradigm of the, the, the monk on the mountain. It was way too easy. And of course, it could have been necessary. We have, I, I'm going to say the experience of the monk, the monk on the mountain is just part of the spiritual awakening, spiritual journey. Like I'm going to go to the mountain. I'm going to look for wisdom. And sometimes the monk just wants to live on the mountain. Like, I don't want to have to deal with people. Like, damn it, I get hungry at times. And hopefully I can, I can find ways to feed myself out there without needing to get too much. You know, it's like, if I could live off of prana, I would do that all the time. Um, That's usually the, the thought form. And maybe we're going to get, and probably we're going to get at some point of our spiritual evolution where we can do that. We just run light through our bodies and we live that way. Where am I going with that? There is this experience of grounding light. The spiritual journey at the moment is very, it wants to be tremendously grounded. It is no longer about how many verses of the Quran or the Bible or whatever the Tao, the, the Tao teaching or the whatever text you're referring to. It's no longer about how many of them you can recite. It's about what does it look like to apply it in the modern world? What does it look like to descend all of that wisdom and to run it through your lower energy centers? The lower energy centers are the ones responsible for survival. They are the ones that are responsible for first your self-worth and how you see yourself in the world and how you see the value that you bring into the world, how you relate to your self-esteem, um, your own per personal power in relationship to the external world. There is also, you know, finances. How do I take care of myself in this world? How do I show up in relationships in a very loving way? How do I show up in my tribes, community? How do I relate to humanity at large? Am I able yet to really embrace the ultimate truth that we are one human tribe? Am I able to live that highest truth? Or am I still um, engaging in some of the tribalisms and the racisms and all these different things? We are experiencing a dissension of light. And that dissension, when it comes to when it comes to finances, when it comes to money, um, I used to have so many conversations around money, especially the big conditioning. I grew up in spaces where I saw healer. I saw the I saw the, the duality of both. We knew healers back home that you needed to be a millionaire to work with them. They, we knew healers that were just like, Riding, you know, having the best cars ever. And also I knew healers that wouldn't accept your money. It was all donation-based. 
or anything at all. If they were part of your family, they wouldn't even want to receive anything from you. And I'm not saying that they should have. I'm not saying that they should. There's no should there. What I'm talking about is we have in spiritual circles, we take our life so much for granted. We take it for granted. To a certain degree, we offer it in ways that are not necessarily reciprocal. Even when we are offering deep, powerful, life-shifting um, service to others. And there is usually this kind of mind virus. I'm going to call it the mind virus of scarcity in a lot of the professions that involve healing, supporting others, um, holding space. And that is something that we really get to explore. I usually talk about prostituting all light, um, which is seen some of the greatest healers and beautiful lights out there in the world. Um, blocking their I've done that. I still do that at times. Blocking their capacity to receive much compensation. Um they could have for the work they do. And I really think it's something that we get to evolve out of. It is not, in my opinion, dirty to be compensated appropriately for the work you do for others. It is absolutely not. And it's also, it could be, could it be, you know, I also understand the, the willingness to be a, a, you know, I often receive this kind of perception a lighthouse, a lighthouse out there does not necessarily charge for the light that it puts out there. You know, when people are navigating on the ocean, they just see the lighthouse and they, they get the guidance that they need. Yes. And the lighthouse also needs maintenance. The lighthouse, there is somebody that is working to take care of that thing. Because if the light goes out, people that are navigating on the ocean, they are in trouble. And they are in big trouble. So there needs to be a reciprocal way. I know some places back home where there is like people that are using specific ports are contributing to the maintenance of this space. Um, and I'm talking about a very traditional area. It's not even like, you know, a big port. Really, at the level of communities, they understood that there is a certain degree of reciprocation that is needed, even with the instrument of light itself. Where am I going with that? It is not just necessary. It is also appropriate for anybody in this kind of line of work to be at a space where they feel like their light is not being used to be at a space where they feel like they are not depleting themselves because it can be really challenging to just maintain that devotion to your light when the survival needs are not met. One of the best ways to actually hijack your light is to have your survival needs not met because you step back into fight or flight and you default usually when we feel unsafe. And safety is not necessarily just like being threatened by somebody out there. Feeling unsafe has a really huge economical aspect to it. It is really hard to stay connected to your life. It is really difficult 
to remain connected to your light when survival needs are not fully met. So in the way I'm perceiving it, it's almost like not fully paying justice to the brightness that you're serving to reject um, the possibility to be fairly, you know, ethically compensated for the work you're bringing in. It's almost a duty to make sure that you are able to protect your capacity to shine by making sure that the needs of the human, who is the lighthouse? It's the human. It's almost as if you're telling the, you know, we usually stand on above some pedestals and we tell the human self, imagine that there is a human self. It's like the part of you that has to take care of business, the part of you that has to deal with your relationships, the part of you that has to pay your bills. But there's usually the spiritual self up there that is like, hey, I need you to shine your light. And, you know, the, the, the human self or lower self, people often say, and can tell to that spiritual self, self, go fuck yourself. I got bills to pay today. So I'm not shining. So it needs to be more integrative as well. In terms of like the human needs and the other spiritual needs, you might say. Mm -hmm. There's the artist that wants to be completely immersed in the art and all of these different things. Or the creator that wants to be completely immersed. Or the space holder that wants to be completely just, I want to hold space all the time. It's just like, I even want to heal people that are walking on the street. Hey, can I give you a session? It's like, yeah. It's like, can you also um, receive the, the sustenance needed to create your space holding container to take care of yourself, to have the vitality that you would even need to run light through your body. Because even that, I had sessions where I've, I've given trainings of four hours plus, and I would come out of the training and I would need to take care of myself for a day or two to just feel like I am back in a space where I can facilitate again. If I had to go do a very difficult job the next day, it would take me weeks to be able to be in a space I can facilitate and recuper recuperate and things like that. It is, in my opinion, just a very honest reality of what it looks like to be a light worker, the devotee of your own light, and also having a human experience. The human experience has real needs. And it's okay to take care of them. I often joke with people, but I really say that without joking. I don't. I will never believe that Jesus was broke. I will never buy into that. I am what I will bet whatever I have that this is a guy that was really tapped into the reality of abundance. And could it be possible that he could create gold out of thin air? Yes. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But that would also be another form of abundance. If I had that capacity, I would do so myself. And I would sell that gold. And I'll be at peace with that. And, you know, I'll be a gold hustler on this, as a side <laughs> job. And I would be a healer. But I really mean we need to de-shame needing to be supported financially. Because it's actually the vehicle, the human being, a well-balanced human being. And I'm not talking about some sort of like person that will just like drift on other people's desperation or just, no, 
in an ethical way, a well taken care of a well taken care of human being is the ultimate vehicle for the light that we need right now, and that's okay. So that's what I got to say to them. Beautiful, beautiful. Thanks for bringing that in. Um, yeah, that's so necessary and so integrative for for us who are on this path to hear, you know, it has been for me as well, having that permission, especially coming from a lot of the, the same Christian programming of, of riches being something, you know, it's easier for a, a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, which I think is kind of like a lot of the shame and judgments and the distortions, some of the illusions and distortions that exist within the, uh, church version of you know the the new testament um and maybe even the interpretations of it um i would yeah, go more with the interpretations of it because yeah. you know in text especially the one that you're referring to it's speaking mostly to greed mm-hmm. you know um, which is what people have equated a lot to the rich man but it's not really it um, mm-hmm. It's more they're they're speaking about specific trait there, and the specific trait is really greed. It's like that huge l- lust for money and for for more and more. It's like insatiable appetite for more and more and more money. And I'm not saying that this is wrong, you know. I, I I'm not even gonna tr- put myself on some sort of weird pedestal and attempt to judge it. But if that loses track of like our shared humanness, then maybe there is something about it that needs more integration, that needs more love. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just a, yeah, getting out of balance. It's like the the we're talking about the light of survival and money and just and also maintenance of our light versus the shadow of yeah obsession and yeah these extremes maybe of yeah too much energy too little um so yeah yeah. i uh i know we uh we have to close out here pretty quick xavier um but just for anyone listening i I wanted to see if uh there's any last pieces you wanted to drop in um as well as just where can people find you and uh, what what offerings do you have and can you speak a little bit about that yeah well thank you for the opportunity the last piece that I want to offer is, you know, we are here on a beautiful journey of romancing our humanness. And um, something that I define usually myself as, we we like a lot the saying, I'm a, I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. Um, but I'm also, I, lo- I love saying in this moment, I am human and that's okay. There's an aspect of, being human that even angels envy and what i mean by that is we have the ability to choose love or reject love an angel is love period there is no choice to be made there or it's like you love that's it they get through us to romance what it feels like what it the sensation of choosing love again even in the midst of the most challenging, to choose love again. You experience the most difficult things and you're like, what does it look like in this moment? Not running out of this, but in this moment to choose love. What does it look like to descend love 
right here. I find it so fascinating. It sounds, it may sound even trivial. What does it look like to descend love in my experience of hurt, in my experience of betrayal, in my experience of humiliation, in my experience of scarcity, in my experience of persecution? What does it look like to descend love in here? That's the question that is always there with me. It's like, what does it look like to be a channel for love right now? I feel like that is the evolutionary thing that we're going through at the moment. It is way too easy to give into the different battles that are going on in the world at the moment. And of course, there is a place to stand for what is good. There is a place for that. You know, but you can also stand for what is good and at the same time hold, hold space for the unity of everything. And in my opinion, this is the cosmic paradox of anchoring unity consciousness on the on the earth plane at the moment. We are devotees of that thing. But the very least, those who will resonate with that. We are ushers of a new paradigm. And that paradigm does not exclude all humanness. It doesn't exclude any aspect of our humanness. This is the reason why on a global level, we get to see the darkest of the dark so that we can leave no part of us behind. We are going through an evolution into wholeness. We're not going to an evolution into separation. And that means getting into a place where your open heart can meet fully every single aspect of you. Um, let me simplify it. Meet yourself fully. Look at the darkest, look at the brightest, with an equal degree of like openness and compassion for all. And force, keep continuing, keep working on creating the most beautiful benevolent experience for yourself that you can. And when life brings the, the integrative dance of shadows emerging or even peak experiences of beauty emerging, can you just love them, embrace them equally? That's what I would say. And when you embrace things in that way, you really tap into grace. It, it becomes a journey where, you know, there is, there is still pain, there is still hurt, there is still joy, and there is still magnificence, but there is very little suffering. There is very little suffering. There is still yeah. deep pain and greatest highs but there's very little suffering and i think that this is something that's accessible to us all at the moment yeah and i would add i'm just riffing on that that as within so without like as we bring and integrate this compassion within ourselves and every aspect of ourselves and leaving no part of us behind we can ex we through that process we extend that same state of being to the world around us yeah. You know, and that doesn't mean without boundaries, of course, and like love can take many forms, but um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's such a beautiful way to wrap it all in, you know, just, this is the way forward. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. I wanted to just ask really quick, uh, as we're closing up here, how people can get a hold of you and any offerings you, you have out there. And if you want to speak to that. 
Well, people can find me. Thank you very much. People can find me on my Instagram or my website. It's uh, xavierdagba.com. Um, offerings at the moment, some coming soon. I have, you know, my membership community that's called the Embodied Light Project that we offer every quarter. We open every quarter, so people um, that are interested can keep an eye out for that. And other containers that I often open um, here and there or eventually one-on-one -on -one work if people feel pulled to this as well. But yeah, it was just a deep pleasure to be in this space and to create with you. Yeah, Xavier, I really, really appreciate you so much. And um, I know we spoke before we hit the record button about a lot of other topics we could have dropped into so i feel like there's a there's an there'll have to be another podcast down the road where i have you on and we can go deeper yeah yeah absolutely yeah brother well blessings to you and your family in this winter and this holiday season and to everyone else listening um thank you for joining us thank you to spirit and to all our ancestors and guides and all all the light that's around us and within us that has been guiding this conversation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, brother. It's a deep pleasure. All right, brother. I'll see you soon. I'll see you soon.